You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today is Pacers Grizzlies. Not looking like John Morant will play, but should still be a super fun game. Grizzlies looking awesome. Pacers playing fun teams is always fun for them at this point in the season to see fun opponents. And I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of the game because the Pacers winning and losing is kind of ambiguous in what they want right now. But I do with a lot of these teams that have rebuilt recently want to talk to co-hosts of their show about how they built their team from the bottom to the top, what the Pacers can copy, and how... The Pacers can one day be as good as the Memphis Grizzlies are right now. And so joining me to talk Memphis Grizzlies and their rebuild from 2018 to now, Mr. Sean Coleman from Lockdown Grizzlies and Grizzly Bear Blues. Sean, how you doing, man? Doing all right, dude. I, I'm gonna. I'm jealous uh, of the uh, the piano interlude. I think is that how, is that the correct word? Is it interlude? That little piano thing that we had going. Did you do that yourself, Tony? Was that you playing the piano? That is snazzy that, as hell, man. That is a song I found on a. Uh, like a free music download YouTube channel a oh. very long time ago. It's been the Lockdown Pacer song for forever, and I love. I just it. say I, I would say you did it. it, it that that yes, was I did. Yeah, Tony East, but Tony, pleasure being with you, sir. Thank thank you for inviting. I have me never on. played piano, but that was me. That was my my one exactly. Session. That's the story. Talking about the Grizzlies is very fun for me and a lot of people from Indiana for numerous reasons. One, they're really fun and good. Second best ticket in the NBA, maybe best ticket in the NBA now for my money up there with the Hornets. But right now. The Grizzlies had Desmond Bain from Richmond, JJJ from Indy, John Conchar from IPFW. They had Mike Conley and Indy Legend, Dakota Mathias from Purdue was on their team this year. Zach Randolph used to be on the Grizzlies. They're as close to Indy's team as you can get, Sean. I love it. They they absolutely are. And, and the crazy thing about it is, is that you're you're exactly right. You know, you, you know more about the uh where a lot of the Grizzlies come from than I do myself. But the thing that I'll <laughs> say is this a lot of fun right it's fun to see the ties that indy has with where several grizzlies came from both from the grit and grind era as well as this era as well and you know you talk about it john morant being from south carolina but two-thirds of the future core we hope is a championship contender in a few years they're from the great state of indiana who knew the connection between the grizzlies and the great state of indiana it's crazy and no one thought Desmond Bain would be, ever be an NBA player through much of his high school days. So it's been fascinating to see him turn into a stud and Tyrese Halliburton's rising stars teammate. So part one of how the Pacers can rebuild quickly, uh, get more players from Indiana is apparently the answer. But on a more serious note, Sean, you know, you've covered this team for a while. And if you look at the 17-18 Grizzlies roster, you see Mike Conley, you see Marcus Saul, you see the, the end of the grit and grind era. Maybe the next season was more so the end, but that was not that long ago. You know, Victor Oladipo's ascent was that year. And then they quickly transitioned to kind of what they are now. But what do you feel like was the event or igniting thing that made the Grizzlies go, okay, we're done with grit and grind. We've got to go to the next era of Grizzlies basketball. Uh, it was it was seeing the writing on the wall. Listen, at the end of the day, the one thing that stood out about the grit and grind era was the Grizzlies did correct from basically after the 2009 draft where they inexplicably chose Hashim Thabit over Steph Curry and James Harden. But we can write that story about many NBA organizations. But when they made the Zach Randolph trade later that summer, they get Mark Gasol, they develop Mike Conley, they get Tony Allen as well in that time frame. They did an excellent job, one of the best jobs in recent NBA history of making the most of the pieces that they had. And as you know, Tony, covering a small market team, 
We don't have the same resources that other bigger markets do. When we are dealt the hand that we're dealt, we've got to make the most of it. And the Grizzlies did an outstanding job of that. But because of the fact that there was not continuity between our coaching staff, where you went from Lionel Hollins to Dave Yeager, so on to David Fisdale, so on and so forth, you had this kind of, you didn't have a lot of chemistry between the front office and the coaching staff. You had some at the towards the end of that grit and grind era, you had some, you know, bad relationships between Mark Gasol and Fisdale. The things that you need in place, the, the continuity, the chemistry that has to be there at all three levels for an era to be truly what it needs to be to be a contender, that's what held us back. So as that core four aged and we did not develop, we did not draft well to support them, that grit and grind era was only going to be as good as the prime of that core four was as it aged. We lost Zach Randolph, lost Tony Allen after the 16-17 season. And once we saw that Mark Gasol and Mike Conley, even with their offensive games getting better under Fizdale, once we saw that they just were not going to be the core to get us anywhere anymore, the writing was on the wall. And of course, it started with the 2018 draft going with Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, I, you know, that the parallels there kind of. And the Pacers, Pacers didn't age out as much as the grit and grind kind of team did. But there became a point where, especially after the Vic trade, you know, the Pacers went through an evaluation stage of, okay, does Levert fit with the core we had with Vic? But I think the writing was on the wall pretty quick with that era of the Pacers that this does not work. You know, they, they tried it with Bjorker and they made the plan. But that era of Pacers basketball is quite frankly pretty bad. And they tried a new coach like you talked about. With the Grizzlies, that also didn't work, and they blew it up quickly. So I don't, I don't want to com- compare the starts because for different reasons, they pivoted from one era of basketball to another. But I will say that the writing on the wall element of it, which is not exactly the words I was hoping you would use, but pretty close, uh, igniting a change, I do like that parallel for the Pacers and Grizzlies because you know quitting on a core that you built as a front office is really hard. Like every step of the way, a front office believes like, yes, I built a winning team. That's why they make all the moves they make. So it's really hard for those people to be like, I failed or like, okay, this isn't working. So credit to the Grizzlies, especially now as they're third in the West and ascending for doing it. But I think it's important that the Pacers take notes from other teams that, that succeeded in saying, okay, we messed up and pivoting to the next era. Cause that's hard to do. Absolutely. And the other thing that stands out to me is this, is to be honest with you, it was great to have seven straight playoff playoff appearances, especially with, you know, us trading Kevin Love, Roque Mayo, and then, of course, you know, the Hashim the Beat pick in 08 and 09. Nobody expected it, but we did have it. But I'll tell you this, an interesting perspective. Not many may share this. I'm not sure. It was great for the grit and grind era. It was wonderful to see that meant the seven straight playoff appearances. But you also come to realize after seven straight playoff appearances and never really feeling as if we were a true championship contender, Oh, in that time frame, you come to realize lessons learned. You realize how you can maintain success of being a sustainable winner, but you also realize what you've got to get in order to be a true contender. And that was also, for lack of a better way of putting it, the writing on the wall. The Grizzlies were going to have to get what the Pacers had during the grit and grind era when they had a true superstar in Paul George. The the Grizzlies had to get that level of player. We didn't have that in the grit and grind era. It didn't seem like we were going to have it. We had hoped Jeremy Jackson Jr. would be it. And then, of course, 2019, the biggest factor in all of this, Lady Luck smiled down on us, and, of course, it came to John Morant. The one thing that I will say, and this is going to be a thing that I'm going to hit on more than you might think throughout this conversation, luck is the biggest factor that has helped the Grizzlies rebuild over the past three to four years. It's, I think with a lot of small market teams that end up successful, luck becomes a factor. Like the, the Cavs not falling really far in the Garland draft, right? Like that's going to potentially get them to the playoffs for the first time without LeBron in literally two decades, probably actually more than two decades, right? Like 
They they got Kyrie Irving number one that got LeBron back. Like that kind of stuff matters all the time for these small market teams. And I just picked the Cavs because I've been focusing so much on them recently because the Pacers have their first round pick. But you could name a number of small market teams that a similar situation applies to. Pistons get K'd. Now they're finally set up to be good for the first time in a long time, right? Like that that's that's part of it. And we'll get to that for sure. I don't I don't want to be a little jumping up and getting John Morant. Um, but yeah, I agree with you about the, the star part and, you know, the Pacers had the similar run of success in the playoffs where it never really felt like they were a championship contender, even though they had the star because their best years were the same time as the LeBron Heatles teams, which I mean, as good as Paul George and that crew was, they were not beating the Heatles, even though they pushed them to seven. It felt like at times they maybe had a shot. They never really had a chance against that Bron team. They were, they were so unbelievably good. And then once Vic got hurt, it just, that was it. They had no more super duper stars. It was impossible to you know, go from a team built around this guy to the pivoting on the fly. So I look at this 17, 18, 18, 19 timeframe when it was kind of just Dylan Brooks as the young guy. And that was a sweet 45th pick, by the way. That's another part of the luck factor is nailing these second rounders. That's not actually luck. The Grizzly scouting department is unbelievably good. But from there to now, the slow buildup from Dylan Brooks is our, is our supreme young guy alongside some old guys. You know, besides getting high draft picks, which we will talk about, what do you feel like Memphis has done well to get from Dylan Brooks as our good young guy to we're third in the West? They have absolutely nailed trades, which is absolutely a parallel that you see with the Indiana Pacers. Look at it from Indiana's perspective when they were when they faced the uh, fact that they had to trade Paul George. You get Victor Oladipo and you get Demonis Sabonis. Oladipo unexpectedly becomes the potential star that you're thinking will replace Paul George long term to be that top ten, top fifteen player to keep the Pacers in contention. Unfortunately, a horrible injury happens. But what happens? You've got Demonis Sabonis, who you got in the same deal, come up and be the face of your franchise. The Grizzlies had not had that big of a trade, but. What they did do for the Grizzlies, while they didn't get back star-level players in a trade, like a Nola Depot or a Demonis Sabonis, from the Marcus Gasol and the Mike Conley trades, the Grizzlies did two things. They made two big trades that were the catalyst for other trades. That deal led to other deals, led to other deals. They wound up, they built so much off just one deal that they not only created enviable depth, which is a calling card for this Grizzlies team as young as it is, but they also built an enviable treasure trove of assets to use for future moves. But the big thing is his development as well. They were able to find pieces that unexpectedly became much better versions of themselves in Memphis than many could have thought. Jonas Valanciunas, DeAnthony Melton, so on and so forth. So so that is the reason why the Grizzlies have been able to make the most of their opportunity along with the luck of getting the high draft picks is the fact that they have not only built like crazy off of two deals of trading their past era stars, but developing players to become better versions of themselves in the process. I definitely want to talk about some Grizzlies trade strategy stuff because they did some, something interesting as well that I hope the Pacers emulate just from a team building dork <laughs> in general. Before I talk about those trades, Sean, I got to tell everybody about the good folks over at betonline.net because it's that time of year. College basketball tournament is upon us, and Sean Coleman, the Indiana Hoosiers, are dancing for the first time since I graduated. For all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, sports podcasts, and sports news this season, and it's not just basketball. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering and information needs, including live betting, your favorite casino games, and yes, now officially baseball. Head over to that website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. BetOnline.net is where the game 
starts. Bet balls, not Hoosiers. Sorry, Tony. Had to throw that in there. <laughs> That's totally fine, Sean. Uh, you know, I, I picked the Tennessee balls to go very far when I made my bracket earlier today. And everybody, thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. This is obvious. Locked On Grizzlies. Hear more about John Morant and the ascending Western Conference Memphis Grizzlies. Again, one of the most fun teams in the league. So something the Grizzlies did a few times that I love for small market teams and building teams to do is they rented out their cap space in trades, yep. right? They did the, the, they got stuff with Valanchunas. They got stuff for Valanchunas to get Steven Adams in the door, right? They did that not just with those guys, even with Parsons, with the, with the Atlanta trade too. Like those trades as a fan, you know, if you want to be good right now, they kind of suck because it kind of signals, okay, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of being bad for another year on purpose, but you get a lot of assets from that. That helps you be good and, and get more picks or use those picks to trade for other key players. And the Grizzlies have been really good at that. And that is something I think more teams, including the Pacers, that stink and are growing need to kind of emulate. Absolutely. Everything's an asset, right? Everything is a resource to be able to get trades. And the Pacers and Grizzlies, the Pacers over the past decade, the Grizzlies over the past two to three years, Tony, they're two of the best examples of how teams that are not going to be free agent destinations, using everything as your disposal as a resource in a trade is the best way to go. For instance, you want to talk about the Mark Gasol trade. Well, from that Mark Gasol trade, the pick that the player that many were excited about coming to the Grizzlies when we made that trade was DeLone Wright, a player that we've seen traded many times, but has established himself to be a pretty good NBA player. He was actually the guy that a lot of Grizzlies fans were the most excited about versus Valanciunas. But Valanciunas comes over, absolutely dominates in his time with the Grizzlies becomes a better version of himself, as we mentioned. But then we take DeLone Wright, and instead of signing him in restricted free agency, we trade him to the Dallas Mavericks, and we get the two second-round picks. Plus, we also are able to then sign Tyus Jones in restricted free agency. Tyus Jones has been an absolutely great signing. He's led one of the best benches in the NBA, a secret to our success as exceeding expectations. But, Tony, we also were able to get two second-round picks. And through that, I'm not necessarily – can't think off the top of my head if we used one of those assets in these trades. But the whole point is because we had a depth of second-round picks, we moved up in the 2020 draft to get Desmond Bain. So, again, it's using everything into resources. It's extracting as much value versus picks and players that you possibly can get. And it's building on top of things. We got Tyus Jones from the Marcus All move in one instance. A year later, we were able, because of that depth, to use second-round picks to get Desmond Bain. Things just keep adding up. Keep making trades work for you year after year. That's a part of the secret to the success. Yeah, Buddy Heald was, you know, maybe not the same level as Valanchunas plus Delon Wright, but I mean, he's already been much better with the Pacers than he was with the Kings. And I don't know how long that can last or what, what his future even is with this franchise, but I mean, perhaps he can be of a similar vein to, to Jonas and that he can come in and rehab his value and still give them something else in the future if they continue to wheel and deal. Let's do the gross one. The part of it that there's nothing Kevin Pritchard can do about it. There's nothing Zach Kleinman can do about it. There's nothing the Grizzlies can do about it. There's nothing you and I can do about it. There's no strategy involved. Luck, right? They jump yeah. up and get John Moran. They jump up and get Jaron. Did they jump up in the Jaron Jackson draft or did they, they get him at four? They, they did stayed? not. No, they picked him at four. Yeah. Okay. Well, jumping up and getting Moran is obviously a huge part of this, right? And, and, and Pacers are fifth right now. So above 40% chance that move up. Odds are they'll get six or seven. If they finish at five, who knows where they'll they'll actually end up. I mean, look, John Morant's obviously an extreme example because he's a super-duper megastar and will be a potentially 10-plus-time all-star. But, I mean, the the luck element is just so hard to quantify. And, and you can do stuff to maximize your luck, air quotes, but 
maximize your luck. But uh, I mean, is it is it just kind of like like how good do you feel like the Grizzlies would be without John Morant? How much is luck getting this all to come together? How much of it was just that that one lottery? In other words, if we would have stayed where our odds were, like at the eighth or ninth spot, and had we picked a Kobe White or a Cam Reddish or what have you in that draft rather than John Morant, we would still be in the lottery, in my opinion. Like, that's how big luck came into it. And, And I'm not ashamed. No one should be ashamed to certainly admit that's the case. At the end of the day, the Grizzlies have done a lot of good things in terms of what's in their control. That's been a big factor with the position that they're in. But the biggest factor of all was something outside of their control, and that's John Morant. But here's the big thing about it also, Tony, that I think needs to be needs to be said. With John Morant, it absolutely is who he is on the court. He absolutely is phenomenal. Top 15 talent, top 10 talent in the NBA right now, rightfully in the MVP discussion. But it's also the culture that he helps build, the loyalty that he has to his teammates, the cultivating approach that he has to not only want to constantly get better, be the best version of himself, but actually enjoy the work that it takes because he knows he values how important that is. That sets the tone for the rest of our team. It keeps everybody within the mindset. It makes a cliche a reality, and it's just as much of the culture as it is the talent on the court. So Luck certainly had a lot to do with it, but John Morant developing his game, but also developing his persona by being a true leader, one of the best in the NBA, even at the age of 22, that plays just as much of an important part. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, so. Let me start off with the biggest caveat of all time. I don't think Tyrese Halliburton is nearly as good as John Morant. But that part you talked about at the end, setting the culture. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton's got this perfectionist kind of mentality that, in my six years covering the Pacers now, I have never seen from a, an, another player. You know, I've seen got like Vic before his injury was an awesome off-court leader. Like he was really good at it. Brogdon's getting much better at it this year. But I've never seen someone like Hal Burns' mentality before, and I don't, I don't know how much that seeped into a new team. He's been here for a month, and they've played twelve games. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm not expecting him to like grad drastically change the culture in in a dozen games. But I do think he has the mental makeup to have those qualities uh, as the leader of the Pacers. Again, he's not nearly as good as John Morant, so who knows how much of an impact he can have on his teammates? But maybe they have that kind of part of it in Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see if he can be as good of a player as John Rand. I think it'll he will be a top 30 or so as opposed to top 10. But the off-court part, I think he can do. Well, I actually want to throw something in here, and this may have been the part that you were going to get to, but I do have a favorite player in this draft, and it actually oh. may be John Morant's favorite player as well. Uh, and yeah, and an indie guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's a guy that's in your own backyard. Um, His name is JV. Now, I know that this may not necessarily be where you were going with this, but I want to throw this out there because he happens to be by far my favorite player in this draft as well. But that 2019 summer where the Grizzlies put this together, they got the look of getting John Morant, and then they traded franchise cornerstone Mike Conley to build the court around John Morant. My thought that I'm throwing out to this, and this is where you make the moves. This is where you retool on the fly. You've already got Halliburton. That's kind of like us having Jaron Jackson Jr. I think Halliburton is a better long-term fit for today's NBA than Damana Sabonis. So I like that y'all the trade that y'all had there. But think about Halliburton, and then you get Jay Nivey in the draft. What's the consistent thing that you see among many of the great NBA teams now, uh, Tony? It's great backcourts. The Suns have it. The Jazz have it. The um, Golden State has it. The Bulls have it. The Grizzlies have it. Now you've got Ivy and Halliburton for the future. Maybe you put them with Brogdon, but what if you trade Brogdon with four years left on his contract and get a haul for the future to complement Ivy and Halliburton? 
that could be the type of development for the Pacers that happened for the Grizzlies that really can help things out. I just had to throw that in there because I like you, Tony. And if y'all wound up getting Jaden Ivey to put with Tyrese Halliburton, I think you've got your plan in place to become a contender again quicker than many may think. I think my fans uh, are uh, my fans. My listeners are a bigger fan of you now than me. I think they they want you to host on Pacers now. Every, everyone in Indiana loves Jaden Ivey. Like he yeah. he's one of the best college basketball players this state has seen in a while. Probably since Cody Zeller. Cody Zeller was really good at IU, and he wasn't like an awesome NBA player. Um, but he was in a crappy draft, so he went really high. So yeah, he he's special. I mean, he he is really good. And yes, Jaw is a huge fan of him. Many NBA players are a few, huge fan of him. I'm looking forward to watching him in the tournament. Perhaps the Pacers can get there too. I got two more, two more Grizzlies related questions for you, Mr. Coleman. But before we talk about those, I got to talk about the good folks over at RockAuto.com with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need for your vehicle. You got to get in there and do the intimidating questioning is your car an LX, an EX, a CX, a DX, whatever. And then they got to order the parts. You got to go back and get them. It's a big pain. You can save time and money and not deal with that process by using rockauto.com where you can save 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselvers for over two decades. They have reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you could need for your vehicle, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box. So they know that, you, with that we sent you from the Locked On Podcast Network. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Thank you, everybody, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every day. Go check out Locked On NBA for your second listener. You can hear about all the haps happening around the league and all the games that happened last night. A lot of stuff that the Pacers care about with the draft happening in the NBA last night. Hope you can all check it out. Sean, two more for you about this Grizzlies rebuild. These two, I think, are a little easier, mostly because they're vague. But for the Grizzlies going from 12th-ish to in the playoffs to now three, what do you feel like besides talent? Don't give me talent infusion. What do you feel like was the biggest thing for them that allowed them to jump up that high? Truly embracing what was going to make them elite. And, and the thing is, is that that's what stands out. Listen, in the NBA today, the more you can shoot the three, the more you can defend the three, the more you can self-create, the better off you're going to be. But if you're not someone that just lands into two or three talents that ultimately can do that for you, if you're not a big market that allows for you to get those type of players in free agency, embrace the talent that you do have and find as many ways to be elite as possible. For the Grizzlies this season, it's being a top 10 defense with Jaron Jackson Jr emerging is one of the better bigs defensively. You know that, Tony, from watching Miles Turner, who I'm a big fan of over the past few years, but that is something that has helped anchor with Dylan Brooks back a top 10 defense. But out on the run, there's hard to find any team who's better in transition than the Grizzlies. Being a top five team when it comes to creating turnovers, being the best offensive rebound team, a team that potentially could be absolutely historical when it comes to offensive rebounds, scoring in the paint, and things like that. You find yourself in a situation where the Grizzlies a lot of times are trading twos for threes, but we get so many opportunities to score those twos, we make up for the fact that we're not that consistent from three. Now if we could just hit a free throw. But the biggest thing that has helped me 
realize just how good this Grizzlies team could be is the front office and the coaching staff, the continuity that they have when it comes to drafting, developing, embracing their players, but also, especially on Taylor Jenkins, who's emerged as one of the best coaches in the NBA, it's truly getting his players in a position to be as elite as possible in as many places as they can be. Even if those aspects of the game are not that valuable, you're still elite in many different areas, which leads to you winning consistently. Yeah, picking an identity will be key for the Pacers because right now they don't have all their pieces yet, but I don't know what their elite thing is going to be. In fact, they suck at defense right now, and that used to be the thing that made the Pacers so special. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, for all their recent great teams, it was defense. So that's a good way of putting it, right? Like you have to be good or elite at something and lean into your team identity, and Steven Adams and Valanciunas being awesome rebounders certainly help the, the Grizzlies be a possession team every year. John Morant can get to the basket and make them a really good finishing team. I think the Grizzlies would love another shooter next year, Sean. I don't want to speak for you, but I think if they had one more shooter, they would be really good. I'm actually going to I'm actually going to come back to you on that in just a second, but because uh, I Ooh. think I got an interesting question for you. But go ahead. Okay. Well, my last thing for you about the Grizzlies rebuild is actually not necessarily about the Grizzlies. Do you feel like this is they, what they did is a copyable strategy? You know, the, the the only reason I ask that as a question is because we talked about the biggest part being they jumped up to number two. And we talked about what happens if that doesn't happen. But in general, do you think what they did is is replicatable from Grizzlies to other small market team to Pacers to other small market team? Is it a blueprint that can work for everybody or is the luck part too big of an element to make that possible? Uh, yes and yes. Um, I think that it is certainly something that can be repeated. And I think that y'all have got the, the pieces in there. Kevin Pritchard, again, has done absolutely great on trades. I mean, not necessarily recently, but I think that he's over time. You know, I believe that he made the Paul George trade. I, I may be wrong yeah. on that. But my You're point right. is that he made that big of a trade. He made the, Debona, the Sabonis trade. You know, he's gotten core pieces in place and other pieces that he could potentially could trade to add to the future when y'all are looking to contend. Certainly. The interesting thing is Rick Carlisle. Listen on paper. Rick Carlisle is absolutely outstanding to have as a coach, but is he going to embrace the development side of things? Listen, you can't replicate the look of getting a John Rant. You just, you don't see that. You don't, you saw Giannis. I'm not saying Jaws Giannis, but it takes that type of look for you to be able to have a potential championship contender. But it also takes a coach and a coaching staff in a front office who are going to embrace the patience and evolution of properly letting things cultivate for your players to develop. Will Rick Carlisle do that? I don't necessarily know if his history suggests that he will, but if he can, that's the part you can replicate. The continuity between Pritchard and Carlisle, Tyrese Halliburton absolutely seems to be a guy that's committed to to a rebuild and making the most of the team that he's on. So you've got a lot of good starts to things. You get a stud in this draft. I think you certainly can get close, but will that stud be to the level of a John Morant? That's the one part you can't control. So certainly a lot of it can be um, replicated, but at the end of the day, luck working out certainly is, is the biggest part. Look in New Orleans to see the opposite side of luck and see how <laughs> devastating that can be. Yeah, Carlisle sort of did it in Dallas, but like – they were bad one year, and then they get Luca. You know, like it's a little different. There was less. I mean, there's obviously strategy involved. I don't want to be like they got completely lucky and it's stupid, but like you know, they they got Luca in their first bad year. Like that, that that's as lucky and easy as it gets in terms Tony, of going get a top five player. At the end of the day, that's what you need to do. It's that yeah. simple. Everybody does it. Get yourself a top five player for the next decade. All your worries are gone. That's all you got to do, yeah. man. That's, that's all you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> why don't Why do we talk about this for 28 minutes? We could have just said that right at the beginning. <laughs> So you had something you wanted to bring up when I mentioned the Grizzlies getting a shooter. What, what is it? 
Well, so you actually have two very intriguing shooters that are a part of your roster that I think would interest the Grizzlies potentially. Now, I don't know, but I've got to ask since we're talking about this, I don't know if a Malcolm Brogdon or a Buddy Heel really makes sense for the Grizzlies with their contracts moving forward. I could see it happening, especially Brogdon, but is there potentially a package out there with the Grizzlies? And I think that it may be something that's headlined by potentially a, a Dylan Brooks or someone along those lines. Do you feel that that potentially is something that makes sense for the Pacers? If the Grizzlies are looking to add that complimentary piece to really move into being a sustainable contender, do we have the pieces from your perspective as a Pacers, um, as a Pacers media member, do the Grizzlies have the pieces in place to make a move for uh, a, a Heald or a Brogdon, especially Brogdon? I definitely think they have the pieces for Buddy Heald. Uh, I, I mean, okay, let, let me stand back. They have the pieces for both, yes. Um, so I don't think Buddy has like a ton of positive value. I mean, he was basically just salary in the in the Sabonis trade, and his value's gone up since since coming here. But like your value can only change so much in 12 games. Brogdon would be an awesome fit with Ja for sure. I mean, when he when he was off ball in in Milwaukee, I mean, his stats were just just ridiculous. And he's he wanted to be a point guard, which is part of why he came to Indiana. If Dylan Brooks is involved, I think the Pacers would have to think about it. So let me tell you about what 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 I don't know about the Pacers. And that's why discussing these kind of trades are really hard. What what I know is they just made a bunch of rebuilding trades, and they're yeah. not very good right now. And that makes me think they'll be building slowly into the next era of Pacers basketball. What I also know is that, like you mentioned earlier, we don't know how much Rick Carlisle wants to coach a rebuild. And Kevin Pritchard said at his post-trade deadline press conference, no, we don't, we're not rebuilding. We want to be good next year. And if that's true, which maybe it is, maybe it's not. Actions always speak louder than words because their owner this season, the Pacers owner said, no, we're not rebuilding. And then they clearly are, right? So actions always win out. But if they are telling the truth and the Pacers do want to be good next year, I don't think they'll trade either of those guys because they're good and they fit with what they want to do. They're good shooters. Carlisle likes good shooters. They play well off of Halliburton. Like they're, they're good. They're a good part of the Pacers core. So if that's accurate, then I don't know if there's necessarily a good fit, but what I don't know is if they're telling the truth or if anything they've seen since the trade deadline makes them change their tune. What I also don't know is if they got offered someone like Dylan Brooks from Malcolm Brockton, if they would say, okay, never mind. You know what? We'll do something like that. So that's what I that's what I don't know is if they're really their feet are in cement, they're locked in, they're not rebuilding. Then I think it would take kind of a lot, like not an overpay necessarily, but kind of a lot to get those guys. Whereas if they're more receptive to a slow build, which I think they should be, even if it'd be painful for the fan base, then maybe I think it'd be pretty easy for the Grizzlies to put together a good package for either of those guys. Absolutely. And, th and that is a perfectly sensible and, and realistic answer, right? At the end of the day, it takes two to tango. And listen, I know we're past the trade deadline. I know y'all are looking at draft. I know trades right now. Probably not the most, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, ideal time to talk about it. But I figured I'd ask because, you know, hey, at the end of the day, content is king. And I certainly could see there being <laughs> something that makes sense for the Grizzlies and the Pacers as we're moving in opposite directions. But hey, I'll tell you this. I've been a fan of the Pacers. I have been an advocate for the Pacers for quite a while. Perhaps Carlisle is the, the person person to lead to happen, but I think y'all absolutely have the core in place to become a surprise, to turn this rebuild around quicker than people might think, even if you're not calling it a rebuild, especially if you can land a stud in this draft. So good luck to you, Tony. As a as a big D'Anthony Melton and Dylan Brooks fan, I, I am now thinking a lot more about this than I should. As you said, content is king. Maybe we'll circle around on trades when the Grizzlies are out of the playoffs. But I don't want to make wow. you talk about trades. Your team is good. I want you to talk about your team winning and making it potential to the conference finals. They're that level of good. 
I will see. But the thing that I'll say is this. I'm always someone looking to the future. Whatever happens in the playoffs this year, I'm going to be happy to see. But adding to our core for the future is something to truly be a contender is my biggest goal. And so, hey, if I see a good player like a Brogdon, I'm going to sit there and throw out the idea of going to get him. Grizzlies do have one of the brightest futures in the NBA. And if you want to keep up with them, what they're doing every single day, where can people follow you and all your work, Mr. Coleman? Yeah, you can find me at StatsSAC on Twitter. You can find the show at Locked on Grizz. Obviously, the YouTube channel as well. Listen, I'm no Tony East, but I will try my best to give you the best Grizzlies coverage around. And also, the introduction of my co-host, Michael Cole, beat writer with for the Grizzlies over at the Commercial Appeal, an outstanding talent when it comes to perspectives. Our future, we're hoping, is just as bright as the team that we cover, just like the future of Locked on Pacers is as bright as the Pacers will eventually be come a year from now. Sean is my best hype man on the planet, more so than most of my own family when it comes to the podcast. Much appreciated, sir. Highly recommend following Sean to learn more about this Memphis team. I'm on Twitter at TEastNBA, where we can discuss more about the Pacers as they get through their final dozen or so games. This show is at Locked on Pacers. Tomorrow, we'll be recapping Pacers Grizzlies with no Morant and maybe no a lot of Pacers. It sounds like they could be down a ton of guys again like they were in Atlanta over the weekend. We'll break that game all down and what's going on with the team tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you then.